Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Welcome this morning. We are in our series of messages called Heaven and Hell. We have had quite a morning. <clears throat> we have had technical issues that we have been fighting and dealing with all morning. And really one minute before the service started, all of a sudden things began to work. So we were praying hard against uh, the enemy who wants to really keep us from worshiping God, but hearing this message today. I think this is going to be a good message. At least I think so. I don't know if everybody will agree, but I think that this is a message that we should be excited about as we talk today about what God calls heaven, but it's more than heaven. We're going to talk about what it looks like to have eternal life with God. We have spent we're spending four weeks where we are looking at this series. We spent the first two weeks talking about hell, and we're going to spend the final two weeks talking about heaven. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series with uh, communion together in part two of what heaven is. Let me tell you some statistics that, that may be surprising to you. Did you know that every minute of every day, so every minute, it is estimated that 106 people die? Every day, 55,000 people die. Every month, 4.5 million people die. And every year, 56 million people die. If you live 70 years of life here on the planet, that during your lifetime, 4 billion people will have died. And it will impact us as well. Nobody can escape life without going through physical death. So the question that we've been wrestling with through this is, well, then what happens? What happens one minute after you die? What happens a few seconds after you die? What goes on in eternity? There there is an eternity according to the Bible. Your existence does not just consist of living a few years in this world and then you just go on to nothingness. Uh, if that were the case, life would be pointless and meaningless. But that is not what the Bible tells us will happen. That after you die, there is an eternal existence that we all go to. Uh, for those of you that are believers in Christ, you can look forward to what the Bible talks about as heaven and eternal life. For those who are not believers in Christ who haven't put their faith in him, what they're looking forward to is eternal hell, eternal torment. We've learned that uh, according to what the Bible says, what we have learned about in the last couple of weeks is that hell is a real place with a real existence. We have learned that hell is a place of emotional and physical pain. We have learned that hell is called a place of outer darkness, that it is a place of continuous suffering and regret. We have learned that it is an eternal existence an eternal destination. 
this place of torment, this place of pain and suffering. We learned last week that you will immediately know upon physical death what your, what your fate is. We learned last week that in hell, people who are in hell have an idea of what is going on in paradise, yet they cannot cross because there is such a chasm between heaven and hell that they cannot go to heaven, nor can people from heaven go to where hell is. When you're in hell, you remember your life. You have all of the memories and you have all of the regrets and you'll have a concern for loved ones who have not died yet you will not be able to warn them or give them any warning of what is going on in your life because that's what hell is going to be. 94% of Americans assume, just automatically assume, that they are going to go to heaven. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about the way, the way, this path being wide and easy that leads to destruction, but the path being very narrow and difficult that leads to eternal life with God. So what we're going to do today is we are just going to look at what the Bible says. I'm not interested in what any other authors say. I just want to know, what does the Bible say? In particular today, we are going to look at a lot of the words of Jesus. What did Jesus himself talk about heaven when it comes to our eternal existence? We're going to pray together today, and then we're going to get into the message here today. So let's pray and ask for God to bless this and protect us as we hear about the truth and the reality of heaven. Father, be with us now. I pray for your protection over this place as we speak your word and speak your truth, as we have worshiped you through song. Help us now to worship you through the opening of your word. Help us, Lord, to have encouragement and comfort in our hearts today, knowing that we can look for an eternal existence in paradise with you. This is something that we can hold on to. This is the good news that we can look forward to. We don't have to fear death. As Paul wrote about and talked about, oh, death, where is your sting? We don't have to worry about the sting of death because we have you to look forward to. That this time here is just temporary. It is, it is the staging scene before the actual play takes place. This is the warm-up lap before the race of eternity. So, Lord, help us to realize and understand what the future and the reality of heaven is going to be. Be with us now. Teach us, Lord, through your word. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What we're going to look at over the next, really the next two weeks, is I have come up with, and just looking at what the word of God says, that there are at least 11 principles of heaven that I want us to look at. What we're going to do today is look at the first five, and then next week we'll look at the next six, unless I add more on next week, and it could be more, it could expand, but next week we'll look at the final six, and then we will take communion together and just celebrate God's goodness together. So let's jump into this today and talk about this eternal existence in heaven that the Bible talks about. So let's look at the first five principles of what is said in the Bible about this place. So number one, jumping right into this, Jesus refers to heaven as paradise. So he refers to it as paradise, which is a real, literal place where he will be. Jesus did not refer to heaven as a magical existence. He referred to it as a real, literal place where people actually can go. In the same way that hell is a real literal place, heaven also is a real literal place. Jesus himself said to the thief on the cross, dying next to him, these words, 
Jesus Yeshua said to him, Amen, I tell you today you shall be with me in paradise. And I want you to notice that word, today. This is what's going to happen immediately upon death. Why did this thief get permission to be with Jesus? Because he believed that he indeed was the Son of God. He put his faith in the last moments in Jesus. And because of that, today, this very day, you're going to be with me in a place. So he says, it's with me, it's with Jesus, and it's a place he calls paradise. That is the eternal existence of heaven, a place that Jesus himself says, it's not hell, this is paradise. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 12. He is talking in the third person. Most theologians believe Paul is talking about himself. But here's what Paul writes. He says, I know such a man, whether in the body or outside of the body, I don't know. God knows what happened to him exactly. But this man was caught up into paradise and heard words too sacred to tell, which a human is not permitted to utter. So what does Paul refer to it as? He says, this is a place of paradise. This is the existence. This is, he says, what you can look forward to if you are a faithful believer in Christ Jesus. You can look forward to a place called paradise. Now, let me give you, I want to give you a timeline of what God's word says and how all of this is going to work so it'll clear up any confusion that you may have about the ultimate things that are going to take place. So let me give you a timeline. I'll try to draw it as neatly as I can, which is not a guarantee uh, by any means. But here's how the timeline according to the Bible... Now, there are all kinds of theories. There's all kinds of theories of the way that the world was created or the world was automatically or magically brought into existence. There's the idea of a Big Bang that happened, which having the idea of the Big Bang, it takes more faith than believing that there is a creator because it is impossible, the odds of what they describe. So God describes that this time of existence was created. So we're going to put just C for creation. That's the beginning of the timeline of the Bible. Now, many scientists, even today, who are atheists or agnostic, believe that there has to be a creator. There has to be an intelligent designer, they will say, because the odds of anything happening outside of that are, are basically impossible. It's an infinite thing that they could be cre or that it could come into existence without an intelligent designer. So this is just the Bible's timeline. In the beginning of the Bible, the creation that happened from the time of creation to the time of Noah was a period of 1,000 years according to the Bible. So from creation to Noah. That covers about the first five chapters of the Bible. Incredible things that could happen in the first 1,000 years. This event of Noah and the flood of Noah was the greatest change that we would have ever seen to the planet. If you listen to any what are called young earth scientists or creationists, you will hear them describe what happened in Noah's time, and this is the only explanation to the things that they find in the world. Of course, Satan does not want you to believe that. 
So he's come up with all kinds of alternate theories. But a thousand years from creation to the time of Noah. Then you had another person on the scene whose name was Abraham. There was a thousand years from the time of Noah to the time of Abraham. From the time of Abraham to the time of King David, there was also another 1,000 years that existed from Abraham to David. From the time of David to the time of Jesus. So this time of Jesus would be the most important important in the timeline from the time of David to the time of Jesus was another 1,000 years. How long has it been from the time of Jesus to the time of where we are at today? This is our existence today. It's been 2,000 years. Now, how many remember how many days it took God to create the world? Do anybody remember that? In six days he created, on the seventh day he rested. So if you said six or seven, you are correct in that. There's this idea of seven days of God's creation. So seven days. Sorry, my handwriting is a little bit messy there. There is this concept in the Bible, in Jewish thought, it's actually mentioned in the Bible, that in God's timeline, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So if you were to look at this, as if, if we're following that formula, a thousand years is a day, that would mean that we have these days, one, two, three, four, five, and six. What happens on the last part, on the seventh day? Well, this would be what's called the time of, and I'll just put it in a different color here, this would be the time of tribulation. Tribulation begins at the end of that period. If you look at the events of the world, according to what God says, according to the book of Daniel, what Jesus says, it kind of is starting to match what the end times events say. What happens during that end time event? Well, there's a brief little window here of seven years. And at the end of that seven years, what happens? Well, the church is raptured. The, uh, Jesus returns. He, he comes and brings order and rule into the world. Now, what does is, what is that start? That starts the final 1,000 years. What is the final 1,000 years called? This is called the millennial reign of Jesus. So that 1,000 years. So that would be number seven. What happens on the eighth day? It is the brand new day. And so at that moment, at that brand new day, and hopefully this makes sense, at this brand new day, that's where everything starts new. So if you look at God's timeline, this is following God's timetable. So how does this all relate to us? Well, let me explain it this way. This relates to us in this manner. From this moment all the way back, people who die end up in either hell or they end up in heaven. When you die, you go to heaven or hell. But what happens at this moment, at the end of that 1,000 years? Everybody is brought up from heaven or hell. And they stand before the throne of God called the great white throne, the judgment seat of God. They stand before God and God separates all of humanity into two different camps. He separates the sheep into the right side, the goats into the left side. The goats end up going to what's called the lake of fire. That is reserved for Satan, the demons that follow him, 
the Antichrist and the prophet and all who have not trusted in him. And it talks about this is the eternal existence. And then it talks about there's not heaven. Heaven is going to cease at that moment because what happens at this moment in time is that the Bible talks about the fact that there will be a new Jerusalem. There will be a new earth. There will be new heaven. So our existence with God is in heaven up to the end of that thousand years, and then it goes into something brand new. What is the brand new that God does? Well, this is paradise. This is the eternal existence. So not only is heaven paradise, but everything new is the paradise that God does. So let's talk about what is that going to look like and what is that going to be like? Well, number one, Jesus refers to this as a literal, real place. Number two, paradise is a place prepared and reserved for the righteous who do the will of God. It is not for everyone. There will be more people in hell, more people in a, thrown into the lake of fire than there will be in heaven in the new that God is going to create. There will be far more. He says that. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. Very few choose to walk that path. It is a place prepared and reserved for the righteous who do the will of God. How do I know this? Well, it's what Jesus says. Look what he says in Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So you may have people who will say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the son of God. That is not a guarantee that they're going to be in heaven just because they said the right thing. Jesus says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will be in the kingdom of heaven. The one who will be there is the one who does the will of my father in heaven. So he says that not all will enter. Who will enter? He who does the will of my father. Does the will. Okay, well, what is the will of God? Well, Jesus answers that. John 6, 40. For this is the will of God. This is the will of my father. What is the will of my father? How do I know what God's will is? Well, it's very simple. Everyone who sees the son and trusts in him may have eternal life. That's where it comes from. If you do that, I will raise him up on that last day. So how do I get into heaven? The one who does the will of the father is the one who's going to be in heaven. The righteous have a place prepared for them. Well, what is the will of God that I see the son? Paul talks about it this way. It's not a physically seeing the sun. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's a spiritual sight. You see God spiritually. You see Jesus for who he is. You see him as the son of God. And then you say, I don't just see him like that. I will trust in him. I will put my trust in him. What does it mean to put your trust in anyone? It means you believe them, you listen to them, you follow them, you trust them with your heart. It's somebody in your life that you are the closest to and you just put your trust in that one. The relationship with Jesus is, I see him, 
I have faith, and I put my trust in him. I want to walk after him. Does that mean that everything is going to just be fantastic the rest of my existence? No, but I want to put my trust in him. And I want to make the best effort to try and follow him that I possibly can. I believe in him, and I now want to follow him. In Matthew 25, Jesus says then that these... And he's talking about, again, the sheep and the goats. Remember, I said in Matthew 25, he gives the picture of this. Matthew 25, Jesus says, the ones who do that will go into everlasting, or the ones who don't trust in him will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous ones into everlasting life. So he says these things. He says that it is, it is a literal place. And then he says, it's reserved for the righteous and those who do the will of God. What's the will of God? You see him and you trust him. That's the will of God. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to follow him. That's what it takes, following Jesus. Number three, and I want you to get this because when I was studying this, I thought this is, this is the most encouraging to me. There's a lot that's encouraging, but this is one of the most encouraging. Paradise is an enormous place. Remember I said, the way is difficult and the road is narrow that leads to life. The way is easy. The path is easy and the road is wide that leads to destruction. How do I get on that road? Just do what everything, everybody else is doing. It's narrow, though, those who find God and choose to walk that path. So when I start reading things like that, I'm thinking, man, who's going to make it? Is anybody, I mean, is anybody going to be there? It's, it's, it's narrow. Do I need to fear? And the good news is this. Paradise is an enormous place. I want to show you this. This is incredible to me. In John chapter 14, verses 2 through 4, Jesus says... To his disciples, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Those are called insula. What an insula was, was they would take an existing house, and when your son would get married, he would collect his bride, and he would build a room on the house. It was called the insula. And so the, the son would be working to build the room. The father would, would help him. The father would say, it's done. It's ready. Go collect your bride. The son would go collect the bride. Bring him back to the father's house, and they would have a place there in their father's house. If you had multiple sons, you've got multiple rooms. If you start having grandsons, then you have multiple rooms for them. Your daughters often would leave and go to another house, a different father's house, but you, your son, and your daughter-in-law, your granddaughter-in-law, your great-granddaughter-in-laws, they would come and they would live and they would build rooms on the house. Jesus says, it's exactly what heaven's going to be like. I'm going to be building rooms for you. In my father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. So notice this. He says, this is the place that I'm going to be. And you can be there too. You don't have to go to an outer darkness existence. You can be right where I'm at. What does it take? I have to do his will. What's his will? I see him and I put my trust in him. And you know the way where I am going. Now, he says, this is what it's going to be. In Revelation 21, it describes it even more. What the new is going to look like. 
Notice this. We're going to talk about Revelation 21 a lot next week, but I want you to notice these words. John writes this, Then I saw... This is after the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. We'll talk about that next week. I also saw the holy city. He calls it the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 10. And God, this angel, showed John, he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, like a jasper, sparkling like crystal, she had a great high wall with 12 gates above the 12 gates. There were 12 angels on the gates were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east. There were three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb of Jesus. And the angel, now notice this is where it gets cool. The, not that the other part is not cool. This is where it really is cool. The angel speaking with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length, the same as its width. He measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. So notice this. Its length, its width, its height are all equal. What do they equal? They equal 12,000 stadia. Do you know the conversion rate? A stadium to miles. I'm certainly somebody learned this in school, right? You learned exactly what that is. Does that mean a mile? Is that what it is? Is it, is it 10 miles? What is the conversion rate? Well, let me tell you. Here's what the conversion rate is. 12,000 stadia is equal to 1,500 miles. All right. It's 1,500 miles long. 1,500 miles. Okay, what would that look like if I just superimpose that on a map? Here's what it would look like. This is the area of what the new Jerusalem in size is going to be like. 1,500 miles per side. That's the size of what he saw coming down of heaven. This is the size of the new Jerusalem. Now, remember, it's not just the length and the width. What else was it? It was also the height. It is 1,500 miles tall. So what John describes is this, the new Jerusalem kind of shaped like a cube, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles tall. It is massive. If you did the math, just trying to assume, if you did this math, that there would be, if you just took the normal size of like an apartment or a condominium of some kind, what this would mean is, number one, there are hundreds of thousands of stories in this building, and because of that, there are multiplied millions in the billions of people who exist in that place. 
So I read that and I thought, yeah, the way is wide and the path is wide and it's easy that leads to destruction, but God is not going to abandon everyone. There is hope. There is good news that it is going to be enormous and there will be a lot of people who have seen Jesus and put their faith in him and as a result find themselves in this incredible picture of what paradise is going to be. Now next week I'm going to look at what, what does it actually describe as this. We get glimpses. We don't get the whole thing. We just get glimpses of this. So what have we, what have we covered so far? Number one, Jesus refers to paradise as a real literal place. It's where he is going to be. Number two, it's reserved for the righteous who do the will of God. Number three, it is an enormous place. Not just a small little existence. It's enormous in size and scope and scale. Number four, paradise is also a place of continuous joy and reward. Hell was a place of continuous sorrow, suffering, and pain. A place of continuous regret. But paradise is a place of joy and reward because you are in the presence of God. You will be in the presence of Jesus where he is. And where God is, there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is joy and reward. Again, Jesus says this. In Matthew 25, he gives three parables about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. The first parable that he gives, he is talking about what it means. He gives this parable called the parable of the ten virgins. He's essentially saying, be ready because I am going to return. At the end of that, he says this, those who were ready, guess what they got to experience? They went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. So they got to go to the wedding feast of God. You ever been to a wedding feast? I'm sure you have. Probably many different wedding feasts. None of those wedding feasts compare to what it's going to be like at this wedding feast, where it is going to be a time of joy and celebration and goodness that we have never known. There is no eye who has seen, no ear that has heard what this is going to be like. We can only speculate based upon what we've experienced. This is going to be beyond our wildest imaginations. It's going to blow your socks off the wedding feast that we get to experience. That's one of the parables. Second parable he gives is a parable of the talents. How do you use your talents for God's sake? At the end of that, he makes this statement two times. He said, well, three times he's going to say something. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, so I'm going to put you in charge of much. Enter into, notice this, your master's joy. It is a place of joy. A place of goodness, a place of excitement, a place of happiness, all of that wrapped up in the joy of God. He says it again, enter into your master's joy. And then he wraps that up with these words, for to the one who has, more shall be given. And he shall have an abundance. You're going to have an abundance of joy, an abundance of reward from God for your faithfulness for him, toward him while here. And so you stay faithful. You don't sacrifice eternity for the here and now. You don't sacrifice your permanent for the temporary. You stay faithful. You love him. You, you are obedient to him. You speak about him. You share. You love others. And that is the reward is the joy of God, the wedding feast of God, the abundance of God that he gives. 
Number five, and we're going to wrap up with this one today. Not only is it a place of joy and reward, but it is also a place of treasures. Do you know the things that you do for God will last for eternity? The things that you don't do God, for God will burn up and they will be nothing. But the things that you choose to do for God will be a thing that is rewarded by God. He says this, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures in, on this earth. All of the things that we want to accumulate, the things that we want to try to accomplish, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What do I do instead? Store up for yourselves what he calls treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is he saying? He's saying that there is an eternal treasure that you can be storing up by your faithfulness, your love for him. Being in heaven, yes, that is enough, but God is going to bless and God is going to re reward those who are faithful to him. So this is an amazing thing that happens. We don't have to go to hell. The place that I was describing for the past two weeks does not have to be the place of our existence. We don't have to go there. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to be in fear of that. This place of outer darkness, this place of pain and suffering, this place of torment, this place of gnashing and weep, gnashing of teeth and weeping, we don't have to worry about that. How do we get to heaven? And I've shared this every week. We get to heaven when we are willing to do the will of God. So what have we seen? Jesus says, this is a real, literal place. I will be there. I will be there with you. You'll be in the presence of God. You will be where he is. We saw that it's a place prepared and reserved for the righteous who do the will of God. What we have learned is that heaven is a certain existence, but then there's something brand new that God is going to create. But it is only reserved for those who do the will of God. Remember, what is the will of God? Well, this is his will, that you see the Son, you trust in the Son, and if you do that, you have eternal life. It's not about being a part of any church. It's not about being a part uh, of any organization. There's not any rituals that you have to go through in order to earn your way there. There's no hoops that you have to jump through. It's between you and God Almighty alone, where you make a decision to say, I will put my trust in the Son. I will follow him because he is my life. And if I do that, God has said, I will give you eternal life with me, and I will raise you up on that last day. Paradise is an enormous place. It is a place bigger than anything we can fathom. It is a place that looks like that. It is a place with thousands, hundreds of thousands of stories, a place of, of numerous billions of people who have trusted in him and find themselves there. That does not mean that you take for granted that you're just automatically there. You have to do your part, and that's putting your faith and your trust in him. Paradise is a place of joy. It's not sorrowful. It's not painful. It is not depressing. It is not sad. It's a place of joy. It's a place of reward. And it is a place where you've been storing up treasures for him. Have you made sure 
that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that you're going to be with him. Every week I've closed in that manner, just asking you, just urging you, have you made that decision where you trust in him? Where you say, I see the son. I don't physically see him, but I see him in my heart. I know that he is real. I know that he is, he is fully God. I see him in my heart and I put my trust in him. And if you've made that decision, then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you've never made that decision, then there's questions and there's not really certainty. And you have to wonder, am I really going to be there? See, if you've not made that decision, I want to urge you today to make that decision between you and the Lord before it is too late. Paradise is an enormous place, an amazing place. It's a place of joy. It's the place where God is. And it is the place that if you are a believer, you can look forward to being where he is. He has gone to prepare a place. He's getting it ready. And he will one day return for the believer. Either you will die and you will find yourself in heaven or he will come back and you will be part of the church that gets brought and gathered up to him. Either way, you will have the opportunity to be where he is. What I'm going to do is, today is just close as we have these past few weeks in prayer. And then I'm going to have a stand and I want us to read together God's word as a benediction and blessing as we leave this place today. Would you pray with me? Father, this is such good news that we can look forward to paradise with you. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be in fear. At the moment we breathe our last and our eyes close physically on this world for the last time, at that moment we will be with you in paradise. The words you said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise is something that we can hold on to for ourselves as well. We can trust if anything happens to a loved one, if they've trusted in you, that they are there with you right now, worshiping you, celebrating with you, experiencing a joy that we can't even possibly understand. Father, just encourage our hearts. Help us to hold on to this truth, the truth that you have given Jesus yourself. It's not our words, it is your words that we hang on to. Father, if there's anyone watching or in this place that has not accepted you, who have not done the will of the Father, which is seeing you and putting their trust in you, I pray that today would be the day, right now would be the moment where they say, Jesus, I do see you and I want to trust you. I put my faith in you, and I give you my heart. If they do that, Lord, just encourage them and help them to know that I don't have to fear because I can look forward to eternity in your presence. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? What we're going to do is we're going to read Psalm 121 as a closing declaration. I'm going to read the, uh, the first words, and I want you to read the bolded, underlined words. We'll, lead that, we'll do that as a responsive reading. There's four slides that we're going to read through. So let's do this together as we close. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber or sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We can take comfort and heart in that. I hope you have a wonderful week. You remember the goodness that God has in store for you who believe in Jesus as a Savior. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here for the conclusion next week of this series. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.